I shared with some people Thursday night this, this idea that we live in a terribly, terribly broken world, right? Every day the world's throwing things at us and it's just broken. And uh, you know, when I do travel, you know, I don't know why, but it just seems to mag, that thought seems to magnify itself. And then I see, um, you know, when, you, when you're somewhere where you're not familiar with being, I guess is a way of saying that, you know, totally foreign environment. Um, I guess, I mean, you could be, you know, in, in Louisiana. I've never been there. That would be a foreign environment. But for some reason, when I'm not in my immediate environment, I, um, I, I, I look at people, not differently, but I, sometimes I just see the lostness, the desperation that seems to be in our world as society is just grinding on. You start looking at all the problems that are in the world today and, you know, even problems in our own families perhaps. And, and you know, we as people, even as God's children, we live in a broken world. There's hurt all around us and we can get to a point where... Um, we have troubled hearts, right? I mean, you ever, are you ever there, right? And so there has to be an answer for us as Christians. And, you know, it's tough to just pull out a, you know, a, a lesson. You know how we teach at our church. You know, we're, we're, we handle the scriptures in a way of where we generally teach through a, a book of the Bible and, you know, go verse by verse. So, you know, when you just teach every now and again, like I am right now, you know, it's like, okay, well, what, what can I talk about? So you get what is going on in my own life, typically, when that happens. And, and um, it's an amazing thing as well with me, the way God does that, you know, that I had no idea Drew was going to ask me to teach last week. And, and you know, so I, I, you just get the overflow of what's going on with me personally. And, so troubled life, you know, the world just seems to be that way. So it's not like God's not in control. We know that he is. So what do we do with that? So let's read John 14, 1 through 6. Uh, verse 1 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So at this point, we know that the, the disciples, were they're troubled men, right? And if you think of the euphoria that they've just come out of, and perhaps your life is like this as, as mine is oftentimes. You know, we have a like a real uh, spiritual high, let's just call it. You know, a time of euphoria. We're close to God. We're walking with God. What could go wrong, right? And then all of a sudden, something. So these guys, they had just seen the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem. They, and then they 
came his confusing words of, about his imminent betrayal that was getting ready to happen. And that, that, you know, hey, by the way, some of you are going to deny me. And you remember Peter, oh, I mean, no way, you know, and you know what happened, right? Matter of fact, one of the more odd, interesting facts of when we were in Jerusalem last year was that the spot where this happened, where Peter denied Christ, they call it Peter's church. They got a church built on every historic site there. Instead of a cross on top of the steeple at this church, it's a rooster. You know, it's Peter's church. I mean, it's identified by, look, there's the rooster on top. That's where Peter denied Christ. And, and uh, so they, they've just, this is what they're coming out of, or not out of, this is what they're in the midst of when they um, hear Jesus speak these words in John 14. They, they're dismayed. And the trouble of their hearts really is only a, a shadow of, of the darkness that was lurking very nearby because we know what just happened, the high, now this, and then the real lows coming, right, with the crucifixion. So knowing their anguish, Jesus spoke to the issue in these opening words and where he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. So in the original Greek, this carries a very firm resolve and, and conviction of a command. Though from the context, we can really understand that these words were probably spoken very gently. Jesus was gentle, right? And this, so this is a command. It's an absolute, but it came very gently to their ears because he was ministering to them. And again, this is not just for his disciples, but it would be for all who ever follow him, which includes you and I, right? So rightly understood and applied, this is good medicine for our hearts because of the age that we live in, even today, the age of, I would call the age of anxiety, right? I mean, one author said that this age that we are currently living in could, could be called the cardiac age, right? Many of us have troubled hearts today. I mean, think of the things that can cause troubled hearts. Um, I, 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 on the way to church this morning, I had the radio on, and um, and I, I was WSB radio, and the person, I don't even know who it was, was talking about just Atlanta. You know, a guy was killed last night. It was talking about how unsafe Atlanta is, right? And just the, the in this particular, was a lady newscaster, and her, she'd been carjacked twice. Somebody was killed or shot in the stomach the other day out in front of a very prominent country club in Decatur. Just, you know, the trouble of today in the society that we live in, the rising crime rates, the, the cost of living. Thomas and I were talking about on the way here, you know, about the church breaking ground. And, and I was just, I said, I'm just astounded of how much it costs to build anything today. It doesn't matter if it's a church or a house. It's just the, our time, right? And, and political corruption, escalating violence uh, in, in the world that that I minister in, um, the, the opioid addiction in our country. I mean, that, that's a real thing that is killing people every day. Pardon? Church, uh, the other church that they have wrote the profanity on the... Oh, yeah, downtown Woodstock, um, or over uh, uh, His Hands Church, somebody uh, did a graffiti uh, spray paint on the front of the church, and was in the newspaper, Thomas was telling me, I'm, you know, then it was a, a devil-worshiping cult attacking the church, writing on it. You know, we live 
in a troubled time. And not only that, but so often so, our own hearts bring concern to us. If it's not bad enough of what's going around, around us, sometimes we imagine things to be worse than they actually are, don't we? I was talking to a guy on the phone the other day. Now, granted, he's in a, a drug-induced delusional mindset, but, you know, he's imagining, you know, that, that I mean, he told me that he's got, saw a video on his wife's phone of her videoing him from the back seat of his truck going to the dope house, and she wasn't even there, you know, and it's real, I've seen it. I mean, well, like, no, you know, that. but our minds can do those kind of things, right? Here's one that maybe would ring more true. Um, what goes through your mind when you go in the dentist's office, right? I mean, does anybody enjoy the dentist? Alexis isn't here. She works at a dentist, so, we, but, um, I mean, I don't care which one you go to. They all smell the same. They got that weird antiseptic smell, you know, and you're, so, for me, you know, needles, and they don't use a, like a little syringe you get a shot with. I mean, that thing's a honker, a big old metal thing, you know, and, and they, you know, then they bring, when you see the Q-tip and the numbing stuff, you know, I mean, does that help you not panic over that big needle? Not me, you know. And then, not only that, then I start thinking, gosh, this is noon. Maybe by six this is going to go down a little bit, you know. We bring that stuff on our own, right? Just troubled hearts. We can get things going. And None of us is immune to that, not even Christians. We struggle with an imperfect faith. We struggle when we seek to help other people. I mean, it's just who we are. So Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. And uh, this is a very picturesque statement, really. What really could be translated, don't let your hearts shudder. You know, know, when you do that, you know. Don't let your heart shudder. In, in just a page back in John 13, 21, the same word was used to describe Jesus' emotion himself when Judas went astray. He, he says there, in, um, actually, I got the wrong page there. He says there, uh, one of you will betray me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. There's the same word. And testified, truly, truly, I say to, say to you, one of you will betray me. So it's a strong word. And he was saying specifically, directing this to the disciples, knowing that the cross is coming, you know. And it might look like to us that our world is falling in around us and that all is lost. And, I'm, and we're, we all of a sudden find ourselves engulfed in darkness. And, and then he explained as he always does, how we are to let our hearts not be troubled. Look at the rest of verse 1 there. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Troubled. Believe in God. Believe also, also in me. The way to have an untroubled heart is to believe in God and to believe in Jesus. That's all there is to it, right? I mean, isn't that what he says? And, and, and the tense of these verbs here tell us that what this is really saying, and here's the hard part for me, keep on believing in God. Keep on believing in me. You know, here on Sunday morning, I don't have a problem in the world with that. But 2 o'clock this afternoon, when my world unfolds for whatever reason, that's when i got to remember, keep on, keep on, right? If we would keep 
one, one of the tools for me to keep in this mindset is to keep in mind the attributes of God, right? His sovereignty, his omniscience, his omnipotence. Our hearts wouldn't be troubled as they are if we could stop and focus on the attributes of God. And uh, my wife, uh, when we have grandkids spend the night sometimes and they're having a hard time falling asleep or missing mommy and daddy or whatever, you know, one of the things that she does is she starts getting them, with her aid, of course, to do what she calls the ABCs of God. Let's talk about the ABCs of God. What is something about God that starts with an A? And one of them will use, oh, God is awesome. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, those are kind of childlike attributes that we can rehearse. And sometimes, you know, we as adults, maybe we're better off kind of stepping back from our high intellectual platform here and, you know, thinking of the ABCs of God, right? The, the simplicities that, that we can bring to our minds to help our hearts not be troubled. I mean, what does a B, you know, uh, God is bountiful in his love or just, you know what I mean? Just, and, and if you get that under control, with the simplicity of that, then you could move to like what Paul says in Philippians 4, don't be anxious for anything, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what is verse 7? What happens? Then the peace of God. Ooh, that's what I'm looking for. Okay, and then he follows that up with think about these things, whatever is lovely, whatever is true. What's something that's true? God loves me. Oh, in the midst of my turmoil... You see the fundamental shift in thinking there? And that's, that's all we got to do. But, but our flesh knows that if, I can just, if it can trick us into grinding out the misery, the trouble, the anxiety, then we're not thinking about God. And that's where the flesh wants us to go. That's where Satan wants us to go. And the world system drags us right along with it. So the Lord knew that we would need further explanation of what is involved. So he went on to specifically instruct us on the nature of the belief that will deliver our troubled hearts. And that's what he gets to in verse 2. He, he wants us to believe that he is preparing an eternal place for us. Verse 2, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, you got to love this. Would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? I mean, is Jesus truth or not? So in other words, hey, I'm not going to lie to you. If I said I was going to prepare a place for you, that's what I'm going to do. That's what he's saying, right? So an effective guard against having a troubled heart is to believe that Jesus, right now, here we are, right now, he is preparing an eternal place for us as individuals. You know, we, we all long for heaven, right? But I shared with a group the other night, sometimes I don't. Are you there? I mean, Kit and I were talking about this the other day. I said, when I was looking at this, I said, I, you know, I want to be yearning and driving and desiring this, and I am sometimes, but honestly, I mean, I'm sitting in a beautiful home with air conditioning. It's hot outside. I got a book to read and a cup of coffee and a wife sitting there. I mean, hey, pretty nice, you know? And our, but Jesus says, you know, think about what this is going to be. And of course, I shared this Thursday night. My wife, you know, as spiritual as she is, she said, yeah, but I mean, just think about that. No sin. You know, that's good. 
forget all this mess. And well, I, you're right, but you know, sometimes I need encouraging to know how much better the heaven's going to be. So when I think of that Jesus himself is actually there preparing a room for me, you know, that, that, that excites me. And um, he tells us um, how unsatisfied and how our unsatisfied longing will be fulfilled when he says, in, in my father's house are many rooms. The New American Standard says dwelling places. The idea is that he is right now preparing a permanent dwelling place for each of his children, right? When life falls in, like it does, when troubles assail us, and indeed they will, right? We find comfort and rest for our troubled hearts in the fact that he is there now preparing an eternal home for us. And a uh, uh, Swiss physician and author and counselor, uh, Paul Torner, says this. If as a child you have not known a secure home, it is very likely as you go through life, regardless of your abode or wherever you are, you will not feel at home. But on the other hand, if as a child you have been secure and at home, wherever you go will be home. Isn't that right? I mean, you think about that. Um, we can go to really nice places in the world, but where do you, where's part of your mind always? It's at home, right? There's no place like home. Is there any bed more comfortable than the one you have in your bedroom? You know, probably, but you don't know. You don't realize it because we need a new mattress. But um, <laughs> you know what I mean, though? When I was in the Army... You could be, I never was, but you could be stationed on the beach in Hawaii and all you ever heard people talking about was, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to get home. The last year you were on a duty assignment, you, you had a calendar and you marked the days. You called it being short. When you had one year, the next day you went to work, you were telling everybody, man, I'm 364 days short. You know, going home. You know, your home could be a dump, but you cared about being home. That's, that's what we're talking about here, having a deep underlying realization that there is an eternal abode for each of us. That should bring rest to our souls in the midst of a troubled world. And, I mean, who, this is Jesus talking here, but from a man's standpoint, think of the Apostle Paul, Right and all that he went through in his life and the tribulations that he experienced. And yeah, he maybe had a bit of an advantage. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 12, 2 to 4 for, for us. Uh, it says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things that a man is not permitted to tell. Now, you know, Paul himself didn't know if this was a vision or a physical experience, but somehow he was caught up into paradise, right? And there he saw heavenly realities. And, and that same guy is uh, having this vision of heaven, knew that there was a real place awaiting him. And victoriously through these Difficulties. I mean, think of all that he went through. We won't turn there and look in 
you can look later if you like, in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 and following, all of the beatings and the shipwrecks and the bitten by the snake and the, all the stuff that happened to him. And he said, you know what? My citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, Philippians 3, 20. John tells us here that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. That's the key element of our comfort. Jesus is preparing a special place for each one of us. Do you um, imagine what your room will look like? You ever think about that? You know, I'm going to prepare many rooms, a dwelling place for you, Tim. Well, wow, what would yours look like? You know, I think probably my, our master bedroom is designed and decorated by my wife but my office now on the other hand is mine you know i got i got squirrels hanging on the wall i got a big fish hanging on the wall you know a big fish hanging on the wall covers up no but what what about you you ever think about your room you know um i think sometimes when i go to places like these little villages in peru Mine's going to be more of what their house is, a little shack with dirt floors made out of adobe mud with a tin roof on the back 40 somewhere. And those saints are going to be the ones up front in the mansions, you know, because we've got so much more now. But, you know, I mean, do you ever think like that? What I, I think it's good to think the Lord's going to be there, right? Um, the, the point is Jesus is preparing a wonderful home for us right now, and that, again, should comfort us. Um, and now some people, though, when you talk like that, they'll come back with, well, that's just escapism. I don't think so. You know, some people will say, you know, that you're being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that statement? That's not what we're talking about here, right? We can get to the point to where we're so pious that we're no earthly good. But we, and we may be so religious that we're no earthly good. We may be so impractical in our Christian life that we're no earthly good, but that's not what we're talking about here. I don't believe that you can be too heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Matter of fact, the opposite's going to happen because don't you want other people you know and love and see and come into contact with to be able to realize what their heavenly abode might look like, right? Um, so question for us all to ponder is, is your heavenly abode, is it real to you. Jesus wants it to be, right? We plan family vacations, right? Any of y'all ever just jump in the car and say, okay, honey, where do you want to go? We got the next week off. No, you plan that out. You know, you, you get maps, you plan the route, you know, you know in your mind about how many times the kids are going to want to stop and go to the bathroom and, you know, and okay, we can do this and... <coughs> Not there we won't, because right now we would think sinfully of it. I think we'll be rejoicing. That, and I don't think, you know, some will have more rewards than others, but the abode is going to be, you, we're not going to have this spirit of, wow, look at what he got. I got this little dumpy thing over here. It won't be like that, right? It'll be just absolute supreme, um, what's the right word, grandeur, you know, 
And, and that's what ought to inspire us now in this troubled world, knowing that as good as this might be sometimes, this is cursed by sin. You know, think about that. You know, I, I've read one time that in a teaspoonful of ordinary pond water or I can't remember how many thousand diadems, you know, well, what's a diadem? Well, it's kind of like you got to look at it under a microscope to see it. And it's kind of like if you go to the mall and get one of those kaleidoscope looking things, you know what I mean? You know, the spectacular colors and all that happen as you're looking through one of those. A teaspoon of pond water has thousands of those in it. Why? You ever wonder that? That's what comes into my mind. Why? What in the world? I wonder if that's what this looks like to God. You know, so if that's that magnificent magnified, and this is heaven, the eternal boat of God that will be with him, how much more spectacular is that going to be? Right? The, the most fragrant flower in the world blooms for a couple of seconds only when it rains once in however long in the desert. Who gets to smell that? You ever think about that? I mean, that's God, right? And that, you know, so those kind of things is where my mind goes with this. And we, we need to be preparing for eternity. If we prepare to go to the beach, and as cool as that is, as beautiful as that is, how much more wonderful will eternity be and our heavenly abode be? They're in a condominium in Destin that'll compare to what we're going to have there, right? Pardon? No sharks up there either, right? Um, so next, he instructs us to believe that he's coming to take us to be with him. Look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So our fall, in our fallen world, we, we gain relief from our troubled hearts from the fact that Jesus is going to take us to be personally with him. Now, get this. We've been talking about the abode. Now we're going to shift gears a little bit here. It's not just the place, but it's the person of Jesus Christ himself that's going to be ours. I will come again. I'm coming again. Right? Present tense. Now, think of that. In the New Testament, there's 318 allusions of direct reference to the fact that the Lord is going to return to take us to be with him personally 318 okay so you all right with believing that then he is coming right he's 318 times it talks about it right we're going to see him face to face first uh, john 3 2 says this dear friends now we are children of god and what we will be has not yet been made known but we know that when he appears what we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Um, John Doan, an English poet uh, in the 1500s, said this concerning this reality of Christ and us being with him. This, this almost, if you don't look at it carefully, sounds blasphemous, what I'm getting ready to say. But this is this guy's quote. I shall be so like God that the devil himself shall not know me from God. He will not be able to tempt me any more than he can tempt God, nor will there be any more chance of my falling out of the kingdom of God than of God being driven out of his own kingdom. Wow. 
That should excite us, right? That's why Paul said, what, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two, right? Staying here or going. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. John 14, 1 through 6 is one of the most comforting passages of, of Scripture we could ever read. Um, Dr. A.L., I can't pronounce this guy's name, Gablian, he's the uh, general editor of the 12-volume Expositor's Bible Commentary, late 1800s. Um, he used to say this, uh, among his family treasures was their, the old family German Bible that went back for many generations. He said, if you opened that Bible, in some spots it would look like it just came off the printing press. Yours is probably like that too, right? But he said, when they opened that Bible to John 14, it was spotted and soiled and worn from the tears of many generations past. Comfort his family was finding from those passages of Scripture. Uh, Puritan preacher Henry Venn was dying, and on his deathbed, in his, auto, in his biography, it says, quote, the prospect, thinking about heaven, thinking about these verses in his abode, the prospect made him so high-spirited and jubilant that his doctor said that, that his joy at dying kept him alive a fourth night. He lived an extra day contemplating Hey, I'm dying. I'm getting ready to go be with the Lord. Made him live an extra day. But anyway, um, and, I mean, we get just such comfort when we, when we think like this, right? It, it's comfort to our souls. Um, Paul wrote in Titus 2.13, Though we live in a world of troubled tribulation, we, quote, wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a comfort. Jesus is coming at some point whether we die first and he get, takes us to be with him or he comes back. And next he tells us in this text to put our faith totally in him, verses 4 through 6. Jesus con concludes by saying, and you know the way to where I'm going. Now, Thomas didn't understand, and most theologians think that he was probably speaking for all of them, not just him. And he said, Lord, we don't, do not know where you're, you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus, of course, replied with one of the most quoted statements that you hear. John 3, 16 is probably one of the most quoted. This is probably a very close second, right? In verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that statement, what did that just do to every other religion in the world? Dispels it right? There is no other way. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That just eliminated every other religion in the world. Now, that might sound harsh, but was he God? Did he say that? And um, I'll never forget, I had a guy, a friend of mine, I'd taken him to get a haircut, and and um, and we were in this barber shop and it was packed crowded and the guy was cutting his hair and and um, this guy kept talking about uh, the barber kept talking about things that change in life and this guy said well I know something that doesn't change and he turned the clippers off and every eye turned to him in the chair probably 20 people in this barber shop and he said what 
And he said, the word of God. And the guy said, what, what are you talking about? And he said, well, Jesus is the truth, and the truth never changes. And about that time, I kid you not, there was a Muslim guy standing right at the door. And the barber said, well, he's a Muslim. He doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. What about him? And the guy in the chair said, well, I don't know. Ask my buddy over there. And I said, great. So the Lord just popped into my mind, right? John 14, 6, which is another reason to memorize scripture because I didn't have a Bible with me and I knew that. So I said, well, look, guys, you know, don't get mad at me right now. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. He said he was the way, the truth, and life, that nobody can go to the Father except through him. And I said, I didn't say it. He did. You know, you got to take that up with God. And then I, I followed that up with um, Josh McDowell's thing. I don't know if you all know him, but he was, uh, uh, he was an atheist, and he set out to prove God, that God did not exist. And as so happens to so many atheists, when they try that, um, it backfires and they come out realizing God exists. And so Josh McDowell, towards the end of it, he's got a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And at the end of that, he said, you know what? And I shared this in the barber shop. I said, you know, here's what you guys can do is you can decide one of three things. Either Jesus Christ was a liar because maybe he's not the way, the truth, and life, and there's all kinds of ways. Or he's a stark raven lunatic for even claiming that. Or he's Lord, and it's true. So you pick, Lord, liar, or lunatic. About that time, they were done with his hair, and we left, and we, we hadn't gotten, I was in the car, we were rolling, but we hadn't gotten out of the parking lot, and one of them comes flying out there, preacher, preacher. I said, well, I'm not a preacher, but... Uh, <laughs> He said, well, we got another question. I said, all right, what? And he said, was Jesus black or white? And I said, um, neither. He was a Middle Eastern Jew. You know, do you know what a Jewish man that lives in Israel looks like? Well, I can kind of think in my mind, well, then that's what he looked like. Okay, and they went back in. But <clears throat> troubled hearts, we need to remember when our hearts are troubled that Jesus Christ is everything. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And his reply is the ultimate foundation for a, for a satisfactory philosophy of life, right? Because what does it do? It, it stops us in our tracks when we think of that. Well, what about no? He said it. There it is. And, and first, we see how personal this is. He didn't claim merely to know the way. He didn't claim merely to know the truth. He didn't claim you know, life is a formula that he can impart to the ignorant. He actually claimed to be the answer to human problems. Think of that. He claimed to be the answer to human problems. Secondly, his, he responded with an authoritative assertion as the master of life. He is the way to the Father because only he has an intimate knowledge of God, unmarred by sin. He's the truth because he has the perfect power of making life one coherent experience irrespective of its ups and downs. He is the life because he was not subject to death, but he actually made death subject to him, right? He died to demonstrate the power and the continuity of his life. And because he's the way, the truth, and the life, he is the only one that gives us the means to reaching the Father. And... Um, Chapter 1 of John, verse 18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. 
he has made him known. So he is the only authorized revelation of God in human form, and he's the only one authorized to be a representative of God to humanity, us, right? So think when this happened. Again, Jesus' encouraging words came just before the cross, and there we find further comfort not only at it, in its saving power, but in the demonstration of divine love. And Christ's love sees through this troubled world that we live in, right? We all have experiences in life that are falling in on us, as we said. Yet, Job said, yet man is born to trouble, what? As surely as sparks fly upwards. You can't build a fire without sparks going up, right? Because you'd have to have an environment with no air and then the fire won't burn. So you can't do it. Meaning that trials are part of life on earth. What did James say? Count it all joy if, no, when you face various trials. So Christ is always saying to us in the darkness, don't let your hearts be troubled. How? Trust in God, trust also in me. Because he is the way, the truth, and in the life. So remembering that one day we're going to be with him. Sometimes, some of us sooner than others, there are great benefits to being old. In the natural course of things, I'll be there before a lot of y'all, right? So maybe I'll show you to your place. But, <laughs> but uh, I hope that comforts you as it did me as I was studying this and, um, you know, thinking of our world that we live in. And, um, you know, I've got young adult grandkids now and a whole new set of troubles, not to discourage y'all with young kids, but th this doesn't go away when they get old and move out of your house. They start bringing little ones, that then you start worrying about them, and I just, you know, which all, though, drives my heart to, Lord, please, come get us today, right? Wouldn't that be awesome if it happened today, if he came back today, then we'd all go together? You know, I used to know a missionary, then served in Eastern Europe, and um, he would, when you'd get ready to say goodbye to him, he said, I'll see you here, there, meaning the United States, or in the air. You know, can you imagine? Hey! <laughs> We're all going up together. That'd be cool. So, anyway, any final comments or questions? We do need to pack up the chairs, and um, if not so, we can be dismissed. <laughs>